Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, I want to share with you a moment uh, from a training I did uh, several years ago with my good friend, Leslie Vernick. Leslie and I were uh, in the middle of a pretty significant training uh, for ministry leaders when a question came up regarding helping church leaders uh, see when change occurs. Uh, What you're about to hear is 15 to 20 minutes of dialogue as Leslie and I interact with some questions from the audience about change. Really, the heart of this is a question that was, uh, is she experiencing consistent change in the way he treats her? How are we measuring that, interacting with that? Well, at that point, some questions were brought up from the audience such as the abuser getting allies from within the church, uh, church leaders actually accusing the victim of being the villain, as it were, and then a disclosure of ways in which some leaders had gotten some things wrong. Now, I've edited out the actual questions, and it's not important what the ministry setting was uh, when this took place, but I think it is helpful to listen to this interaction This was mostly off the cuff with a few planned statements that we were able to weave in. Uh, But hopefully you'll benefit from this discussion. Uh, Again, myself and Leslie Vernick, uh, just a section of a training. I hope it's beneficial to you. And as always, thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. some of the evidence that we're looking for for this willingness. We've talked about this before, right? This change of heart that Chris has talked about. That's the evidence that they're willing. Please don't confuse that with their ability to actually carry it out. Right? So stages one and two are the change of heart, Mm -hmm. safety, sanity is going deep to change their heart. Stages three and four are learning the change of habit. The putting off, putting on. Francois Fenelon, one of my favorite old guy mystics, uh, wrote this in one of his books, Christian Perfection, which I love. He says, a persuaded mind and even a well-intentioned heart is a long way from faithful and exact practice. Right? And so we do have to help them learn how to live as God calls them to. I think, Leslie, this is where most of us want to go. Like we want to start at hurdle three, right? right? And for those of us who do counseling, this is kind of where we're most comfortable. Now we can do this practice of change and so on. And we really have to take that step back and slowly move through those heart changes first. And so I appreciate the way Leslie pulls these uh, four stages out. But I just wanted to reiterate that uh, some of us were talking at the break that sometimes we view counselors as like experts in everything. (laughs) But for many of us who do counseling, We've got to take a deep breath and back up and really work on that heart change first before we get into the practice. This is the fun part once we have a willing participant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next is we got safety and sanity. 
We cannot move to stability if we haven't done good work in those first two stages. Okay, so you might not ever do marriage counseling before you start doing stability. Mm -hmm. Right, you might do all that other work separately. So stability is kind of the John the Baptist, put your feet where your, you know, where your mouth is. Prove by the way that you live now that you have repented of your sin and you've turned to God. So we want to see evidences of this in this stability stage. And we're going to differentiate between old history and new history. These are the terms I use. Because, you know, people will say, well, that was back then, that's then, that's then, that's then. I did that then, I'm not going to do that now. But if there's no new behaviors in place for managing those negative emotions or you know, learning to respect boundaries, learning to maintain safety, learning to listen, all the things that they need to learn in that sanity stage, then they're not going to be able to actually do the behaviors. Just like I couldn't actually run the marathon even though I was sincerely wanting to. I had to learn to train my body to run the marathon. And that's what the Apostle Paul says to us. He says, train yourself to be godly, right? He doesn't say try to be godly. He says, train yourself to be godly. And so part of our work in the church is training, if the desire is there, then to train them how to do it. And in this stability stage, we're looking at old history and new history. Okay? And here's some indicators of new history, that there's some truth to a change of heart, that they're willing and able to self-correct when they slip back into old history. Right? So when you've truly repented of something, pornography, overeating, whatever, anger. It doesn't mean that you're never going to do it again. At least, not that I know of, I think we still are human and we still can fall back into old habits or old ways of thinking. But what's different now in new history is that we're aware of where we fall, we're not blind to it, we're not making excuses for it, and we're not lying about it. Wouldn't that be new if we have sanity now? If our eye is healthy and our whole body is full of light, we're seeing what we did. We're making choices that are contrary to God's will. We recognize what happened. We fell in the hole. We got out. We told. We confessed. We got accountable. And we're still moving forward. Is that new history? That's different than it was before. So we're not looking for perfection. But what we are looking for is a conscious awareness of the holes that I might step into. And if I step into them, how do I get out of them and deal with them so that I don't keep stepping into them? Yeah. And that may be new history. So let me give you an illustration. So let's say a man's verbally abusive. And he minimizes and demeans his wife. And so you haven't done marriage counseling with them. And you're wondering, you know, how they're doing. And she says to you, you know, he still does that sometimes. But what's different now is... Now he says, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. I'm, I'm working on this, but sometimes I just get triggered and I gotta, I, I'm so sorry. Isn't that different? Yeah. And so it's not like he's a perfect man, but he shows that he's a different man. He's taking responsibility for it. He's catching it. He's confessing it. He's saying, I'm going to help for it. It's not like I'm all better yet. And so she can begin to build hope that he's sincerely changing. If he continues to repeat old history by being verbally abusive, and then she says, stop that, that was abusive. 
oh, you're, oh, you're such psychobabble. You know who you are. You've been brainwashed by those counselors. I don't believe what you're taught, you know. Is that new history? That's old history repeating itself again and again. Is trust being rebuilt? No. So there can be no stability to this marriage, right? There, there isn't stableness if trust keeps getting broken, 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 broken. And we're not talking about trust being perfectly rebuilt. We're being trust that you are changing and that you're being aware, you're recognizing it, you're being accountable, you're taking responsibility. Then I can begin to trust that this process is working. Any questions about that? Because this is a really important part. One time I was working with a couple. I wasn't working with a couple. I was working with a woman and her church. Um, they were separated and they had been separated for three months. And the biblical counselor of their church said that that was enough. That was long enough. You can't put the spirit marriage back together if you don't live together, which is not true. Well, the spirit only works in six-month increments. <laughs> Pretty... So, so he was saying that you have to move back together and that he hasn't hit you for three months. So, you know, and she didn't file a protection order because the church didn't want her to. Yeah. So, you know, he has to move back now because he didn't hit you for three months. So he did prove that he's changed. And she said, but he's still abusive to me. What do you mean? She said, well, for example, last Sunday night, he came to watch the kids and I was busy and it was 10 o'clock and he really wasn't watching the kids. He was watching the football game and... I asked him to leave because I had to put the kids to bed because he didn't do that. And I asked him to leave because I was tired and I wanted to go to bed and I didn't want him in the house alone with me sleeping. And he told me it was his house and he didn't need to leave and that I was being selfish by kicking him out at 10 o'clock and having him to go in that little H-E-L-L hole he had to live in because of what I did. Why would I want him back when he's still acting like this about one little incident? He said, what do you do when the community around him is saying, hey, he's really different. And she's saying, I don't believe it. Right? Because she had, unless he has a protective order and, he, and she hasn't seen him for six months or whatever. She, like I have a woman, a man who, I, who has a protective order, but he's still allowed to see the children. Okay? So she's not talking directly to him. But he's violating the protective order because he's giving notes to the children to right. give to him. He's, um, they're still allowed to talk about business. And when they talk about business, he's demeaning and disrespectful. And so they're saying he's changed, but he hasn't changed. Because what she sees of him is the same, even in the limited contact they have. And so I'll always say, ask her. Also, All right? If his wife is experiencing, uh, is his wife experiencing consistent change? And if you're seeing change and she's not ask her. I also encourage men that I work with to make sure they have people who are speaking truth, not just people who are affirming what they want to hear. And so if you're in that community and you're walking alongside someone that you know has a history of being destructive, then keep the goal in mind, which is God's glory. Don't get distracted by the secondary goal of marriage restoration. So my friend says to me, man, this is ridiculous. How long is she going to do this? I have a choice to make to either go along with it and say, I don't know, man. She's a little bit crazy, or to pivot on what I know to be appropriate and say, look, you know what happened. You know the choices that you made, and you're going to have to live in the consequences of that. We'll live with you, and we love you, but there's no way that I'm going to go to her and be like, look, it's time, because I don't know, right? Especially if I'm a support person for him. Does that make sense? So in his community, my agenda is his heart. I'm still calling Leslie a him, sorry. That's right. <laughs> for his heart. So that's the, the colluding that can happen. 
is he might want to draw me into his story so that he has allies. I want my um, allegiance to be determined by God's agenda, not my friend's agenda, rather than be tempted into that. And even if she's wrong, even if he's right and she's wrong, right. even if he has changed and he's disappointed that she doesn't believe him, right? He's going to have to learn to live with not getting what he wants. That's an opportunity. And that's the opportunity that he has. And for you to see as his people helpers, to see, is he living with not getting what he wants well? Or is he now like vilifying her, which is the whole abuser's pattern to begin with, right? That she's not giving me what I want. I want a legitimate, I want a second chance. I deserve a second chance. I've tried to work so hard for six months and she's being hard-hearted and rebellious. And now look, we're still, you know. Well, that's indicative of not much has changed. So let, let me say some things. So my clients will often say, oh, you, you know, you're so wonderful, and I can't believe how patient you are. I'm sure you get that, too, as pastors and helpers. And what I say to them is don't be fooled. Anybody can be a really wonderful person for an hour. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Who, you know, I can, be, I can be a really wonderful person for an hour, but if you lived with me 24-7, you would see other parts of me that are not so wonderful right? That are cranky and selfish and self-serving and, you know, all of the above. And so when you're with these guys for an hour, they can be really wonderful. They can put on the charm. They can put on the act. They know what they're supposed to do now because you've educated them. And so they can be really quite clever about putting on a, a behavior that looks like what you're looking for. But they can't sustain it yeah. long term. And, or it can be just a mask. So I think asking her, and, and if you, I think to say to her, we really want to hear from you, and if, give me some examples of areas where you saw that he wasn't different. So she can say, well, he cut me off in the bank account. And, you know, he said, he, he, I just talked to someone last night, she said, he said to me, you know, let's do this amicably, we'll share this, we'll share that, blah, 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 blah. Well, two days later, he hired a bully attorney <laughs> and, you know, did some other things. So she's not believing what he says because his actions prove otherwise, right? I like to have a healthy skepticism. I hope it's healthy. It might just be completely unhealthy. I like to be skeptical. Um, <laughs> one of the things I like to go into is understanding that I'm working with a guy for months, and to us, to he, it feels like forever. Like with the group, let's just take my group meetings, for instance, they're typically 32 weeks, and I will have guys say to me, you don't know what it's like to be there, and he talks like this, you don't know what it's like to be here for 32 weeks. And I'm like, I've been here 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got an idea of what it's like to be here for a long time. So. I think we've got this, and I think ministry, we fall in this category, guys, and that's one of the things that we've kind of lost with the community aspect of Christianity is the idea that we do life together for a long period of time. And in our transient culture, we kind of do life in short bursts. And one thing that I think would be really helpful for us is to realize, okay, we're together for 32 weeks, or we're together for eight months, but it's taken you eight years or 18 years or 32 years to get where we're at. We're not going to backtrack the trail in a couple weeks. And so when we rush the process because we think we know, as soon as we think we know, probably when we need to stop and, and ask a friend, do I really know what I think I know? Because that gorilla has maybe walked through 
or that screen has changed. So I like the idea of longevity and patience, patience and practice, patience and practice, putting those two together where my practical theology is not something that shifts overnight, but it's something that is patiently worked and observed over time. So, so we hear this, I promise, I promise, <laughs> I promise, but we don't really see the behaviors, or we might see some new behaviors starting, but we don't see the consistent awareness of those old behaviors slipping in. And they, you know, the, the other reason that you're making this mistake over and over again is because he's not trying to control you. Yeah. He is trying to control her. He's not trying to, you know, bully you, but he might be trying to bully her. So, so there's a different dynamic in intimate partner relationships than there is, you know, how, how come we're all fooled by the nice guy who could do anything for everybody and then his wife's saying, no, that's not how he is at home. Yeah, and th this is really common. So she was just talking about how, you know, the whole church begins to villainize the woman who's being tough now. She's setting boundaries. She's not taking any crap anymore. She's, you know, looks a little hard-hearted, and she might be. Mm -hmm. She might be. That's why it's so important to build core strength because when she's getting help from the secular community and even some uh, of the Christian sites that are out there, I mean, she's championed for sticking up for herself, which is, I would applaud. But she's not being corrected in the way she's doing it and in an aggressive, ungodly way, right? And not taking responsibility for herself in those things. And so I think that's really important to teach her how to be able to set boundaries with core strength and not being acting out. But there is this space where once a woman feels safe, all of a sudden she starts to feel really, really angry, yeah. right? Because she couldn't feel it. I mean, how could, Marie couldn't have felt angry in that movie for any of those instances, right? There was not one bit of space for her to feel angry. Once there's space and there's no more control and oppression on her emotions and she can actually feel the range of her emotions, she is going to feel angry, right? She's going to be feel angry at what happened to her, that no one believed her, that he's done this to her, and she's going to need some space to work that through to a good place. And so she might look a little crazy. We also talked about post-traumatic stress or yeah. complex stress, stress disorder. And so anger is a good thing for her because she's starting to get her energy back, right? Because when you're angry, you have a lot of energy. And sometimes you do bad things when you're angry because you have all this energy. When you're depressed and helpless, you have no energy, right? And you're just a victim and you're just passive. And so. Anger is a good next step for her. She doesn't want to get stuck there, and they often do because they don't get the support that they need and the validation for their anger. But they can be good and angry at injustice and not being protected and not being listened to and not being valued. And so she may appear those ways. And so then we tend to think of a Christian woman who's angry as a bad Christian woman. And so then she becomes the villain and because he's all weepy and more less angry, he's scared now. And so now he looks like the victim. And we have lots of compassion for a man who's crying. We just do. So pastors, shepherds, home leaders, this type of response, we might, we might receive some of the darts, right? Or some of the jabs. And that makes us uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with women's anger. This is actually a problem societally. Sorry, uh, when I said earlier men are allowed to be angry, women are not for some reason. And you know all the terms, guys who've hung out with other guys, you know all the terms about 
female police officers, female CEOs, and how we have in many ways been socialized and conditioned to a woman who's angry, there's something wrong. In the same way we've been conditioned with her. With her. There's been we've been conditioned to a man who is compassionate or humble or meek that there's something wrong. And so I'm gonna say to group leaders, shepherds, pastors, because I have the same words for law enforcement, and law enforcement struggles with this as well, because how often in the courthouse have I heard a law enforcement officer or a bailiff or someone say, She's crazy. I, you know, she's the problem. We're uncomfortable. So I want to really encourage you two things. Number one, get used to being uncomfortable, right? You remember The Princess Bride? My favorite movie. They're sword fighting, and Inigo Montoya's like, uh, who are you? And Wesley, oh, we don't know he's Wesley, the masked man, says, no one of consequence. He says, I must know. He says, get used to disappointment. And Inigo Montoya goes, okay, right? <laughs> That's what we're going to, okay, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be in the wake of that discomfort. And, and that's okay, that's, that's really a good thing. And then the second thing I would say, which really changed my ministry, was invite female voices into your world of ministry. So I had two amens, so that's enough. Men, <laughs> invite female voices into your ministry to speak into it because, thank you. So. We, we miss a lot of things that our wives, but then also godly women who love us as leaders, right? And they want us to be the leaders that God's called us to be. They have incredible amounts of insight to help us in these situations. So do not be so prideful that you don't go to a woman that you trust and say, help me understand more clearly what's happening and seen. And I think, too, <laughs> going back to your church, um, missing some of this, you know, um, I, I've been, you know, I've been disappointed sometimes when I've gone to church leaders and I've said, look, I'm working with this woman. I you know who she is and I know what's going on and, and that's invalidated. So I think it is important to listen to um, the woman's voice or, and her voice because when she knows that you really care and you say to her, okay, let's look at this power and control wheel, right? Chris already gave it to you. And then let's look at this, you know, is he respecting you? Is he honoring your boundaries? If not, give me a couple examples so I can confront him on it, all right? Is he apologizing and making amends for when he slips? Does she share? Do you decide things together? How's that, how's that working? Is there a new history in the way that you're making decisions together? Maybe the kids, you know, we can't afford private school anymore, so how did you make a decision to homeschool? How did you make a decision not to homeschool anymore? Did you make that decision together? Maybe it hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with their marriage. But it's decisions they still have to make financially or about the kids. Is he honest with her? Yeah. Or is he hidden things? And she's still finding out that he's taken his IRA and depleted that. And yet she didn't know that during the separation. But now she knows that. All right? Is he showing care for her well-being or just his own? In other words, is he starting to have some features on this equity wheel or equality wheel, like respect, trust and support, honesty and accountability, responsible parenting, shared responsibility, economic partnership, negotiation and fairness, and non-threatening behavior? Is she seeing these things? All right? So when he says he's changed, maybe he has changed in one area in that I haven't hit her for six months. I'm not going to hit her anymore. But maybe he hasn't changed in any of those other areas. He's just being sneakier about how he's going to control and manipulate her. 